Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yes, it's Robert here, back again after a little bit of a sabbatical. It's good to be back on the air because we are the defenders of government schools here on the radio on 3CR Community Radio. Myself, Rob, Jean and Dahl, we're here to defend government schools, D-O-G-S, the Dogs Program. We need to defend them because um, yeah, they're constantly under attack. Uh, we will begin, as we always do, with um, our press release with Gene. But just to give you a heads up about what's turning up in the rest of the program, we will, of course, finish on a high note, so it's worth waiting to find out all about our great state school of the week. At the end of the program, we'll have lots of little musical interludes, usually of a classical bent, and we're not straying from that today, um, to calm us down in between, the all, all, in between all the outrage we generate in between. Um, and we'll be talking about a number of things. Um, there's been some interesting research come out. I'll actually be talking about racism in the Australian school system. There's a very interesting paper come out from the Centre for Independent Studies. But Jean will be talking about some more interesting things than silly words like that. Um, she'll be talking about what's going on, in, firstly in Western Australia, but she'll also be talking about um, disadvantage and how it's organised in the Australian education system. But before we do that, of course, we'll be handing over to Jean's famous press release. Press release 802. The long-term price of state aid to private schools. Inequality. Historically, the concept of inequality is a recent one. It was expressed in the bills of rights crafted as a result of the French and American revolutions. Liberty, fraternity and equality for the common good, they trumpeted. In Britain, the wealthy gave a little in the Reform Act of 1832 and much later the extension of sanitation and education, elementary education, to the unwashed but deserving poor. But the old oligarchies, the aristocracies, the technocrats and in more recent times the multinational corporations have always found a way around the extension of of opportunities to the lower orders. Their own children have always been given an educational head start in life's relay race. In the latter days of neoliberal theology, Large corporations, religious and for-profit, have realised that there are huge financial, political and ideological advantages to be made from billions of dollars of taxpayer subsidies on offer, with minimal strings attached. Not unsurprisingly, reality is starting to deviate somewhat alarmingly from the rhetoric. That's the rhetoric of equality. 
In our own time, the old Enlightenment rhetoric of equality has changed in education to disadvantage. Yet in the last 50 years, the more politicians have pontificated, the more reports have been written, and the more taxpayers' money has been spent, the greater the disadvantage. As the dogs told Carmel of the School Commission infamy back in 1973, you cannot have equality of opportunity if the running field is stacked against the disadvantaged. You cannot insist disadvantaged children if the schools are unequal to begin with and they are rejected by wealthy and the, and the disadvantaged are rejected by wealthy schools. In 1969, dogs opposed the opening of the floodgates of state aid to private religious schools because they believed this would encourage a division of our democratic society along religious, ethnic and class lines. They were not wrong. These days, a child's educational opportunity depends more and more on their postcode and parental bank balance. Unfortunately, what the dogs predicted is now come to pass. The latest reports indicate this. First of all, it's best to always follow the money. And Trevor Cobald from Save Our Schools has exposed the systematic overfunding of private as opposed to public schools. In his recent papers, he studies uh, the deals done between the federal coalition and state governments. He found that, and I quote, New figures show that total government funding per student in public schools adjusted for inflation, that's called real funding, was cut between 2009 and 2017, while funding for Catholic and independent schools increased massively. Even during the Gonski funding period of 2013 to 17, well, of course, Gonski was told that no school was to lose a dollar, the funding increase for private schools was over three times the increase for public schools and the total income per student of independent and Catholic schools is now significantly higher than in public schools. In public schools, it costs 14215 to educate a child, most children, compared to 15740 in Catholic schools and 22108 in the so-called independent schools. I'll read those again. A public school student in Australia is worth, to the taxpayer, 14215 A Catholic student is worth 15740 and a so-called independent school child is worth 22108 So next time you see all those children in uniforms wandering around the Queen Vic Market on a Friday or on the public transport system. Oh, yes, that's right. They get they get um, subsidies for that too. Um, you can think about those figures. They're bald figures. Now, for Victoria, he notes that the new funding agreement between the Commonwealth and Victorian governments signed last month will rob this state's public schools of billions over the next 10 years. Cumulative underfunding will amount to 
over 17 billion by 2028. And as with the other Commonwealth state agreements, and Trevor Cobalt has looked at all of the other states, and we'll be looking at Western Australia today, the Victorian agreement is heavily biased against public schools in favour of the private schools. Public schools will be underfunded indefinitely, while private schools will be fully funded by 2023. Well, of course, the dogs think that it's more than time that these private schools should be taken over because uh, this is an uneconomic and inefficient way of educating a nation's children. But what's happened to the actual disadvantaged children? Because all of these reports were written because there was a lot of disadvantaged children in Australia, and they're still there. In fact, there's more of them. When state aid was introduced in the 1960s, it was to assist the poor parish schools of the Roman Catholic Church. Remember these poor parish schools? And there were poor parish schools because that church, alongside the Protestant churches, had many independent wealthy schools, but the poorer parish schools had been left by the church to languish. Even so, the majority of genuinely disadvantaged children were still, even in those days, in the public system. But state aid was always about existing wealthy and new poor religious schools being funded rather than money for the genuinely disadvantaged. So we still have more poor parish schools while the wealthy uh, Catholic schools have been running off with their money. After all, these religious schools selected children at the gate, but public schools were always open to all children. So billions of dollars later, this is a 50-year anniversary for going to the moon. Well, it's also we're about the 50th anniversary of the beginning of state aid in this country in, a, in, in big amounts. The trickle-down effect is becoming startlingly obvious. The vast proportion of Australian disadvantaged children, and they are a growing segment of the population, are in public, not private schools. And billions of dollars are now diverted to selective religious schools while disadvantaged public schools go begging. Carmel's schools commissions and Gonski 1 and 02 reports later, our school system is worse at addressing inequality. But that's not just what dogs say. A more recent international study finding that the proportion of Australian children students who are overcoming their disadvantage says that this has fallen from 36.3% in 2006 to 28.6% in 2015. Meanwhile, public school teachers fight against the odds and a new Australian study has found that only three high schools and 21 primary schools in Australia are both disadvantaged and high-achieving. The study, which looked at 8,145 schools across the country, classifies disadvantaged as being in the lowest quartile of the Index of Community Socio-Educational Advantage, the ICSIA test that we often refer to here on the DOGS program. And the high achievement as performing above the national average in NAPLAN tests between 2015 and 2017. So the actual data um, for, for this study um, might be questions particularly by a lot of teachers. What is a successful school? 
uh, but um, the significantly higher number of primary schools that are overcoming the disadvantage compared to the high schools highlights the compounding effect of falling behind, according to the study's author, Blaise Joseph. Now, who is Blaise Joseph? He's a research fellow in education at the Centre for Independent Studies. Now, what's particularly interesting about this study is that the Centre for Independent Studies is a right-wing think tank. So it's not unsurprising that they discovered that, quote, an analysis of the teaching methods used in the high-achieving disadvantaged primary schools finds that school discipline, direct instructions and data-informed teaching practices are common elements that have been shown to lead to higher achievement. Now, there are other factors that come out if you actually talk to the teachers, but you have to be pretty careful with the the, um, Centre for Independent Studies because they're actually on about certain kinds of teaching, back to the basics and so on. The study from the Centre for Independent Studies also finds evidence of teacher collaboration and professional learning, experienced and autonomous school leadership and comprehensive early reading instruction across the 21 schools. But, and here's the catch, embedded in this report is a recommendation that programs like the Best Start Year 7 should be more common And it's even more important for disadvantaged schools to have that positive school culture. So I'm afraid that for me the alarm bells uh, are ringing here. Uh, These right-wing think tanks talk about disadvantage, but not far behind you have um, money-making exercises. So be careful. So it will be important to watch this space for recommendations related to for-profit educational enterprises. But what is even more interesting in this report uh, is what the principal of one of the successful high schools has to say. And I found this very enlightening. Peter Rouse, who's the principal at Canley Vale High School, which has been one of the highest value-adding schools in New South Wales for five years, despite 68% of its student population coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, attributes their success to targeted teaching and high levels of support. He says, we explicitly build literacy and numeracy into the students' timetables and we have a highly intensive 12-month professional learning program for teachers from day one. We also have, he says, a lot of individual management for students. That's not what the Centre for Independent Studies is talking about, is it? They have a lot of individual management for students. Every student matters in this school. If they arrive on the first day, year seven, without a uniform, we help them get one. If they're not fed, we run a breakfast club every day. We have supports in place for every aspect of their journey. Now, I'd like to say that back in the 1970s and 80s, here in Victoria, there were a lot of disadvantaged public schools that were running these kind of programs. And when Kennett came into uh, office in the 1990s, they were some of the first ones that he closed. 
I think here of particularly the Arden High School uh, down there near Elstonwick. It was a wonderful exercise with breakfast clubs and there were children in those days who were homeless and they were looking after them too. And that was one of the first schools that Kennet closed and it's now a big apartment development. Now, congratulations should go to Peter Rouse, but he should be careful of right-wing think tanks bringing gifts. Christina Ho, a senior lecturer at the University of Technology, Sydney, went to the nub of the problem, we think. The coalition's private school shibboleth of parental choice. Now, she didn't call it the coalition's private school shibboleth of parental choice. Dogs do. But... Christina Ho, who is a good academic and uh, doesn't take on the real baddies, had this to say. The form in the number of high schools that are overcoming disadvantage most likely relates to school choice. It probably reflects the fact that in secondary school a lot more parents are more anxious about where they send their kids, while in primary school parents are more willing to send their kids to the local primary school. Some people are able, they've got the money obviously, to avoid schools that have bad reputations by going to a non-government school while others are left behind. So in secondary school you've got a clustering of advantaged kids with other advantaged kids and disadvantaged kids with other disadvantaged kids. If we didn't have an education system that was so divided, we wouldn't have schools that have such high levels of disadvantage. Well, she's putting it academically, but that's about it. I'll repeat that. If we didn't have an education system that was so divided, we wouldn't have schools that have such high levels of disadvantage. Dogs note that Australia will not overcome disadvantage in educational opportunity for large numbers of Australian children until the common good and the choice of children themselves becomes a national, not a parental responsibility. So that is press release 802. Let's have a break for some of that music that Robert was promising you.
3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Ah, oh, from Swan Lake to the Eastern Mediterranean. Yeah, Greek resistance and kefir scarves. Um, yeah, do it. Whatever they said, do it, for sure, because this is 3CR, we're a community. Look, we're here defending government schools. Look, Jean's press release, wonderful as always, um, and many of the things she brought up today um, in that press release will be continuing with. Certainly some more work, interesting work's been done by Christina Ho, and I'd like to highlight that. And also, of course, she was talking about a particular school, which is in fact our great state school of the week, Braybrook College out there in Sunshine. Awesome place it is. Um, and I really want to share, share what they're doing out there with you because there's been some criticism lately of state schools being this big, homogenous, industrialised sort of system of education. And um, it's just not true. In fact, there is a homogenised, industrialised system of education that's incredibly centralised and bureaucratic in Australia. It's called the Catholic Church. And, and the education system that they run, and not only is it all those things, it's also deliberately opaque. We can't even find out where the money goes. I mean, sorry, their money. We can't even find out where our money goes that we give to them to do the things that they say they're going to do. Um, but separate to that... It's their charity. The Catholic Education Office down here in Victoria is a charity and it is the sole greatest beneficiary of, as far as the Charities Commission is concerned. Mm, uh, just just in one state, it's $3.8 billion per annum that they get from various forms of government. That's the Catholic Education Office here in Victoria, which used to be run by a bloke called Stephen Elder, who used to be a liberal politician or something. Anyway, um, look, we're not going to indulge in, in um, Catholic Church bashing today because there's far more interesting things to do. Um, most of which, from my point of view, come from the idea of talking about ideas. Yes, sometimes we talk about people. Yes, sometimes we talk about events which have, we have to discuss because they are real and they are important in the life of the children of Australia. But it's the ideas. It's the ideas, I think, that are the most powerful thing. And here on 3CR, not just us, but lots and lots of radio shows have the indulgence, have, have the power to actually genuinely talk about ideas. And I promised at the beginning of the show I'd talk about this idea called racism. Racism in Australia. Now, racism is a big word. It's banded around all, all, all over the place. I'm going to replace it now, because I'm trying to de-sensationalise what I'm about to say, and talk about ethnic. I'm going to talk about different groups that come from different parts of the world that come to live here in Australia as part of a multicultural society. Some people talk in terms of racism. Some people talk in terms of ethnicity. Um, they are different things, of course. But, however, in the Australian education system, this has... And as Jean said, it's 50 years since man landed on the moon. It's 15 years since state aid started in any substantial way in Victoria. For over 50 years, we have developed... One. We have... Which one? Big step backward to education. Oh, right. I'm not just, not I'm big just, step on the moon. Well, technically, Neil Armstrong did step backwards onto the moon too. So. <laughs> um, unless that's all just a, a hoax. 
No, no, no. Sorry, 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 sorry ladies and gentlemen. This is not gay there. As, as, as our producer says, she's waving at me from the other side, just saying, "Don't talk about the moon landing as a hoax." Okay, I won't. Um, there's a couple of big ideas in the Australian education system that have taken hold over the generations, because 50 years is now more than one generation. And the idea is, in the education system, there is this shibboleth, as Jean calls it, of choice. Every parent has a choice to where, as to where they send their child. This is, this is the most important driving idea behind what a lot of parents do when it comes to choosing a school for their child. It's the most important idea behind an aristocracy and an oligarchy too. Yep. Now, if you take that one big idea and extend it to its natural conclusion, what happens is you have a lot of parents out there choosing to send their child to different schools. Now, how do they make that choice? Well, at the moment, in the Australian context, because there are different systems that they can choose from, and indeed different schools they can choose from, they choose based upon what they think is best for their child. And what they think is best for their child is often avoiding what they fear. So they will send their child to a school where they think they'll be doing the best for their child. And what happens is that there are various ethnic groups. There are various groups of people who come from various countries. There are various racial groups, even if you want to talk about it in those contexts, who will send their child to a particular school. And many other children will therefore be excluded from that, child, from that school on the basis of their ethnicity, will be excluded from, their, from that school on the basis of, indeed, their race. Now, in Australia, is this actually what's going on? Well, Christina Ho, from the Centre of, uh, the Centre of Policy Development, not the Centre of Independent Studies, the Centre of Policy um, Development is a, is a left-wing think tank, just by the way. She's done a study on ethnic divides in Australian schools right now in 2019, and I find it disturbing. I find it disturbing because there is, a, there is a competing idea which we here at the Dogs propose. Now, the competing idea that we propose is that if you are a parent and you want to choose a school to send your child to and the local school down the road is not good enough for your child, if you have decided as a parent that the local school down the road, the local state school funded by taxpayers, is not good enough for your child, that is a tragedy. That is a problem. That is a political problem. It's a social problem. It's an educational problem. It's a problem for everyone. And that is a problem that needs solving right now. If it requires money, it requires money. If it requires different people, it requires different people. If it requires anything, you solve that problem. So that your choice in terms of what school you send your child to is the local school because you understand that not just you but your entire community around you supports your choice to send your child to the local state school and it can be the best school that it can be. That is the competing idea. Yes, you choose the school. You choose to send your school child to the best school possible because the best school possible is the one down the road. And the one across the road in the, different, in the next suburb is equally as good. So the choice doesn't become a problem of fear. The choice doesn't become a problem of ethnicity. The choice doesn't become a problem of race, and the choice does not become a problem of segregation based upon race, not just income, but based upon race. And this is possible. It's possible in a place like Finland. It's possible in a place like Germany. Why is it not possible in a place like Australia? Now, these ideas 
these ideas that we're talking about, the concept of choice, creating ethnic divides, ties in with the idea of, in Australia, it is an accepted fact that the most strongly correlated thing that relates to your chances of your child's success at school is your income as the parent or indeed the postcode in which you live in. So the income and the postcode are the most important and strongly correlated things with academic success in Australia. Here at the Dogs, we think that's disgusting. We think that's short-sighted and we think as a nation going into the 21st century, that's just a waste of a resource. But how does ethnicity come into this? Now, I just want to share something with you because this paper that Christine has written, I think, is absolutely fascinating and she does not pull any punches. She says, and this is actually reading from her, her report, she says, traditionally, students from migrant backgrounds in Australia were viewed as educationally disadvantaged. But in recent decades, this has changed. Children of post-war migrants tended to be seen as underachievers in Australian schools, reflecting their working class backgrounds. They were overrepresented in disadvantaged schools and had relatively low university admission rates up until about 1988. However, since the 1980s, Australia's immigration policies increasingly emphasised skilled migration over family reunion migration. Thus, more recent migrants, particularly those from Asia, have been more likely to be educated, middle-class professionals, and have their children emerging from some of the top performing schools in the nation. Now, since the 1980s, the ethnic disadvantage thesis and assumptions about cultural deficits of children of migrants have been joined by new theories proposing ethnic advantage, discussing the motivation and ambition of migrant families, and describing ethnic success ethics, and even claimed that as migrants settled into Australian society, they faced contamination from Anglo values that denigrate drive and success. Now, this is, relates to migration to Australia post the 1980s. But it's not homogenous. It's actually rather interesting. And again, Christine Ho goes to places that are, to my mind, deeply disturbing. And um, if you're worried about this, I think keep listening because what I'm about to say is actually quite... It, it's stating what's going on, which in itself is a problem, which in itself is disturbing. She's saying that Australian schools today are much more culturally diverse than they've ever been. After many decades of migration from increasingly diverse countries, it's created a rich mix of students in our schools, particularly in major urban areas. In New South Wales, government schools, approximately one-third of students come from a language background other than English, which these days is called LBOTE. And they speak more than 230 different languages, in Victorian government schools, 27% of students are from language backgrounds other than English, and 13% are English as an additional language learners. Now, using the MySchool data, her analysis shows varying educational outcomes of students from language backgrounds. At one end of the spectrum, the high-achieving children of skilled Asian migrants are now highly visible in selective state schools and classes on Year 12 honours lists. On average, 83% of students in Sydney's fully selective schools are from lote families. However, the stereotype of Asian high achiever masks the enormous diversity of experience and continued disadvantage faced by many of these students. Other students from migrant backgrounds are concentrated in low-income areas and continue to experience educational disadvantage. Sydney 
has 125 schools where more than 90% of the students come from a language background other than English. These schools are concentrated in Western and southwestern Sydney and are more likely to be socioeconomically disadvantaged and are below average in terms of academic performance. So you've got a lot of migrant children or children of migrants in selective state schools from Asian backgrounds and you've got a lot of migrant children or children from migrant backgrounds in state schools that are not selective. It's been like that since the 1960s, Robert. I taught in one of those schools out in the West. I think you'll find that the selective high school system in New South Wales, mm. places like Fourth Street and James yeah, Roos, yeah. were ethnically diverse, not oh, ethnically yes, homogenous. Oh, they were, yes, yes. And what she's saying here is that selective state schools in New South Wales and indeed in Victoria are no longer, no longer no. ethnically yeah, diverse. True. Now, the mixed experience is also reflected in school enrolments. Even in the multicultural capital cities, there are some schools where there are barely any Lote students and other schools where a large majority of students are from low backgrounds. To a significant extent, this reflects the uneven distribution of migrants across suburbs. But as, as she shows, Christina Ho, the schools themselves do not reflect the cultural diversity of their communi- communities. There are also striking divisions between government and non-government schools when it comes to low people. Sydney, for example, has 99 schools with students' low population is less than 5%. And they are non-government schools. And they are clustered on the North Shore and the Eastern Suburbs. And they are in areas, postcodes, which are culturally diverse. But the schools are not. Now, many of these ethnic divides reflect official policies. They just reflect government policy about school choice. Yes, school choice, state aid, means division. Hmm. Division. Which enables families to bypass their local schools in search of a, inverted commas, better school, or indeed a better, inverted commas, student cohort. Schools now exist in a marketplace, increasingly characterised by competition and by hierarchies, which tends to disadvantage families with lower levels of financial or indeed cultural capital. In a multicultural society, schools have a vital role to play in ensuring that all young Australians have a knowledge and skills they need to be active citizens and operate functionally, both in Australia, but around the world. However, as Christina shows, um, our school system is not multicultural. It's just not. It was maybe at some point in the future. I certainly went to a school where... Uh, the content of a child's character to be determined where you dealt with them more than the colour of their skin or indeed what language they spoke at home. But I can romance about that because that's history. Christina's saying, no, that's gone, long gone. And even the, the state education systems in, in, in New South Wales and indeed in Victoria, and I can, I can share with you the figures, it's absolutely stunning. Um, here in Victoria, many people might be aware of various schools. There's McRobinson Girls High School, which is a selective state school. 88% of the students that go there are from a language background other than English. The Nossel High School, down there in Berwick, brand new one, it's a lovely one, 85. Melbourne High School, interestingly enough, only 80% of the students come from a language background other than English. Now, what they've done here 
is the majority of selective schools students in these schools are from ethnic Asian backgrounds, particularly Chinese, and they've done this by going through the roles of each school and looking at the surnames. Now, this is not this is this is in a sense a mix of qualitative and quantitative data, and just because someone has a Chinese surname doesn't mean that they are ethnically Chinese. But however. Um, other data doesn't exist, and so this is the data that they've used. Now, before 1990s, selective school enrolments were primarily made up of Anglo-Australian students. But since the 1990s, the proportion of children's educated school migrants have increased to the point where it's now almost 90% across Victoria, and indeed I could go through from various schools in New South Wales and the figures are almost exactly the same. You need to hear look also at the private tutoring system for the exams for these selective schools. Indeed, and because, because, because that. that's a very resource-rich thing for, for a parent yeah. or a family to do. Now, what I've talked about here is actually dangerous stuff. This is a think tank. This is a left-wing think tank coming out with some dangerous stuff, talking about an apartheid system that's been developed here in Australia when it comes to educational outcomes for Australian kids. So we're doing what 3CR, I think, should do. We're putting out dangerous information for people to hear. If you're interested in more about this, because I really do suggest if you are, it's worth going on to. It's from a paper called Ethnic Divides in Schooling, a discussion paper from the, from the Centre for Policy Development by Christine Ho. And, the, and it came out in May 2019. Now, I'll continue on with some more interesting things, but let's just have a bit more music, I think, to calm down from our dangerous talk. Can I just put in my two pennies worth? I think that um, the middle classes, particularly the upper middle classes of Australia, have never wanted, particularly at the secondary level, their children to be uh, affected in any way by those from the lower orders. And... In, in days gone by, they did have the selective high school system. But state aid began when Wyndham from New South Wales introduced comprehensive high schools in which the children from the wealthy were supposed to be educated with the children from the poor. And state aid started then. However, the selective high schools still continued so that some of the members of the middle class would at least stay in the state system. But um, there is, unfortunately in Australia, there is this, um, shall we call it snobbery? It's a form of snobbery. But when it has an ethnic mix to it, then that is a worry. That is a real worry. Well, it is, it is a commonly held fact, and I'm, I'm sure many listeners would actually understand. It's a commonly held social fact that in a place like Melbourne... You spend the money to send your child to a private school because you don't want to spend the time and the effort and the effort getting your child into a selective state school because one, it's a bit of extra effort and tutoring costs money and two, you can salve your conscience by saying, oh well that's just all the Asian kids and I don't want my kid mixing with them anyway. Oh know oh, I've heard it. Mm. Oh no, because Asian kids will do well and my child will be competing with them and so therefore they won't get top of the class. I'd rather send them to a private school where they'll be higher up the hierarchy and building networks than um, just competing academically with students who work harder than my child does. Oh, no, no this, this is just common. It's been that way for 10, 15 years, Jane. It's just, that's just the way it is these days. This is how the, Ang- the Anglos... Oh, gee, I'm, sounding, I'm terrible. This is how people who do not come from a language background other than English um, are viewing the selective um, state school system at the moment. 
which again, we don't want it sour grapes, um, creates an even greater ethnic divide in Australia. But anyway, I promise you some music. Here's them. is a planet B. Come along to a sparkling night of progressive comedy at Greenleft Weekly's annual comedy debate. Join Masters of Ceremonies, Rod Quantock with Sean Bedlam, Duff, Fiona Scott Norman, Hellchild, Kirsty Mack and Tom Tanuki. Tickets are $50 Solidarity, $30 Regular, $22 Low Waged and $12 Concession. There'll be a bar and the opportunity to buy a delicious dinner. Friday the 26th of July, 6.30pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Don't panic, there is a Planet B, a fundraiser for the radical newspaper Green Left Weekly. Bookings are essential, phone 9639 8622 or go to trybooking.com/bdhtx. Green Left Weekly is a 3CR supporter. Well, 
Yeah, we're back with the dogs program in the Defence of Government Schools and we promised you some facts about school funding in Western Australia from Trevor Cobalt. Here it is. Total government funding per student in Western Australia private schools adjusted for inflation, that's real funding, increased by nearly 1,200 per student between 2009 and 2017. While the funding for public schools was cut by even more than the private school increases. So they lost more than 1,200 per student in public schools. While the Western Australian Government did increase the dollar funding of public schools between 2009 and 17, it cut real funding by an incredible 1,575, that's minus 13.7% per student in real funding. That's with taking into account inflation. The Gonski funding period, in the Gonski funding period, it cut public funding by 737, that's 6.9% per student. And the cuts mean that public schools have far fewer human and material resources per student. So the Western Australian Government took the opportunity of increased Commonwealth funding for public schools to cut its own real funding. Government funding increases have been badly misdirected in favouring the more privileged, better-off school sectors and students because nearly 90% of disadvantaged students in Western Australia, 90% in Western Australia are in public schools. Now, these Catholic and independent schools are getting all this funding because they have some pretty good lobby groups, really efficient lobby groups. And one of the best that really came out in prior to the last federal election, was the Catholic Education Office of Victoria. But here we find that data has revealed that the richest charities in Australia are some of our best universities and a Catholic education advocacy group and a foundation that runs the controversial Ramsey Centre for Western Civilisation. The policy-making group for Catholic schools in Victoria leads the pack of Australia's charity rich list. But the top ten include six of the nation's leading universities and a Catholic aged care provider in Brisbane and St John of God Healthcare, which operates across the country. Not only are these charities the wealthiest, but the majority of their revenue comes directly from Australian taxpayers. The 10 charities made a combined total of more than $62.6 billion in the four years between 2014 and 2018. The data from the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission was collated by the investigative journalist Rosie Williams for osgov.info as part of one of Australia's largest financial transparency projects. Now, that $62.6 billion only represents the top 10 charities. There are hundreds and thousands of charities throughout Australia that don't have to pay any tax, but are actually taxpayer-funded. This is the other side also, the big iceberg the part of the iceberg underneath the ocean of state aid to private schools in Australia.
So um, in four years, we're also told that the charities received more than $44.5 billion in revenue from state and federal governments. Now, we're particularly interested in education in the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria, which states that it has a strategic role in promoting and advocating for Catholic education in Victoria, and they received a yearly average of $2,316,938,645, with the majority of that coming from, you guessed it, federal government grants. So there is a very strange relationship between the Morrison Coalition Government and the Labor Party, for that matter, and the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria. So much for separation of church and state in Australia. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Our great state school of the week this week is Braidbrook College. Oh, awesome. I love Braidbrook College. It's multicultural. It's all on one campus. It's 7 to 12. It's, it's in the inner western suburbs of Melbourne. You know, if you have sunshine, it's up in there. It's great. Well, it's Braybrook, isn't it? 15 minutes from the CBD if you're, if you're willing to hop on a train. But at present, the, the school has well over 1,000 kids. In fact, it's got about 1,400. It's massive. It didn't used to be massive. Back in 2011, just by the way, I'll let you know, um, back in 2011, the school itself... Didn't have that. It had just under a thousand. So it's got an extra 400 kids in the last eight years. Do you know why? Is it because all the wealthy kids have turned up because it's a really good school? No. No. It's because the teachers. It's because of what they've actually done in the school over that time, which is now, of course, on the front page of the age. It's got a new 21st century science centre. Um, and it's an amazing place. It's got a music tech and technology centre. So a little bit of money has been spent on it in terms of its um, in terms of its facilities, but that's not really the point. The point of the school, and I'm just I think this is really interesting from my point of view. The point of the school is this: ninety percent of the kids come from a language background other than English, and it's proper mixed up, proper mixed up there in Sunshine. Eighty percent of the kids come from the poorest half of Australians. Sixty percent of the kids come from the poorest quarter of Australians. And the results they're getting are absolutely stunning. They are above, academically, in every single possible thing you can assess in a school. They have much better reading than all other Australian kids. This isn't just poor kids. This is all Australian kids. Much better writing, much better spelling, much better grammar, and heaps better numeracy. These kids are doing some of the most amazing stuff you can imagine in this school because of the teachers. Because of the teachers and the systems and the principal and the parents and everyone working together. The ICSI value of this school, 1,000 is the mean, 945. Mm. And it is proper multicultural. How much does it cost? How much does it cost to educate these 
in the Australian context, dirt poor kids all mixed up together with different languages. I mean, in this school, it's not just all Asian kids or it's not just all Greek kids or it's not just all Syrian kids or it's not just all any kids. It's just proper, proper mixed up. How much does it cost to educate these kids year on year in a high school? $13,954. Man, if you're living in that area, you're sending your kid to the local school. That's below the average of 14000 It is. It is. You're saving money. Like, this is $19 million being spent on 1,400 kids. That's a lot of kids. So divide that up, you get $13,954 per kid. The money was spent... The teachers are doing their jobs. It's just an amazing place. I mean, can I, can I tell you more about it? Oh, please, let me, because <laughs> it's just an amazing place. Teachers are required to attend professional development and learning programs designed to deepen their curriculum knowledge and particularly to hone their skills in teaching literacy. Why? Literacy is the key for families and kids from language backgrounds other than, um, other than English. And the one thing I really like about school, and I have to say this, I really do, is their school motto. It's just really cuts it. It's not, it's not in Latin or anything like that. And it's not safe, no noticed, or it's not, um, it's something, something sort of, I don't know. It's not meaningless. Pride in achievement. That's the motto. Pride in achievement. Not about safety. It's not about feeling good. It's not about well-being. It's not about integrate. It's not about um, social awkwardness. It's about achievement. It's it's they're a school. In the end, people come together to go to a school. If the school's doing good things, then that's why you turn up, because you like learning. Because people are there to help you do that. It's an amazing place. They also have international students from Vietnam. Come from Vietnam every year. Thirty of them each year. 83 teachers, 22, 22 and a half educational support staff. When I say half, that's one part-time and 22 full-time. Well, their, their purpose of the school is to ensure that all students work, not only to achieve their individual best, but also to strive together at the same time. So when Jean was talking about the school at the very beginning of the program, about individual education programs, Yes, they have individual education programs. Yes, it's about the learning of that child with that teacher in that room at that time so they can have pride in their achievement. But it's actually about working together as well. It's about children's choice, not parental choice. It is indeed. Once you go through the school gate, it's about doing things. It's about learning things. It's about achieving and then having pride in doing that. And they succeeded in spades. So congratulations, Braybrook College. You are our great state school of the week. Well, that's the dogs program for today. It's been good to have your company here with myself, Dale and Jean, sharing with you the news views and um, stunning things that are going on in the Australian education system from the segregation of children based upon the ethnicity of their families to the brilliant things going on inside a school in sunshine, which is what we do, we try to do every week, try to have a broad spectrum of things. We always like to finish on a bit of good news. If you're interested in what we have to say, please feel free to contact us at our website, which is www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And if indeed you have a great state school that you'd like us to investigate, please just give the radio station a call during business hours on 94198377 and say, hey, 
Can I leave a message for Rob at the Dogs Program? I reckon this school is a school worth looking at. I'll just go and have a look at it. I'll see if you're right. And if it is, don't worry, it'll be on the show the next week. Yeah, and um, if you're interested in the work of Christina Ho at the um, Centre for Policy Development, I suggest that you contact, you can contact her directly actually, at the Centre for Policy Development website at www.cpd.org.au. That's www.cpd, Centre for Policy Development, .org.au. Um, and I really do suggest you check it out because she and Chris Bonner, who do a lot of work on policy papers there, really do some in-depth work on both where the money goes and where the ideas are going because money follows ideas. And when the dominant idea in Australia is sort of this free market ideology applied to our children's education, it gets bloody dangerous out there, which is what we have to fight. But nevertheless, it's time now to say goodbye. So... Cheers, big ears from the Dogs Program here on 3cr.org.au. And if you want to check up on what we're talking about, you can re-download us and listen to us again on our podcast, which you can download from that 3CR website. Um, Or you can contact us at our website, www.adogs.info. But until next week, from Gene, myself and Dale, it's bye for now. Yeah.